they're not in position for this tribute. Hi, I'm Sydney, and I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. Dang, we both went with such different but excellent movies. <laughs> I was trying so hard to figure out what quote from The Road to El Dorado I wanted to use. <laughs> That's a good one. That is a treasure hunt, isn't it? Yeah, it's the city of gold. Um, I was trying to figure out whether or not people would realize he's a horse. Uh, he doesn't know what a pry bar is. <laughs> would relate a to treasure hunting. <laughs> Altivo! I'm like even laughing all these years later, like sitting here reading through these quotes. <laughs> you fight like my sister. I fought your sister. That's a compliment. <laughs> so Sydney, why are you going to steal the Declaration of Independence? What are we talking about today? I'm looking for a map. <laughs> I need lemon juice and a hair dryer. <laughs> today we're talking about treasure. Treasure? Hunts. Treasure hunts. This all started when I randomly texted Sydney a few days ago frantically about this random treasure <laughs> book from 1982. <laughs> and then subsequently studied more and more treasure. So I've pulled up several examples. Sydney, have you had any chance to research what you want to talk about today? I think I'm just going to evangelize why National Treasure is the greatest movie of our generation. <laughs> <laughs> And I also wanted <laughs> I also wanted to kind of discuss um how like thrift shopping can kind of be a treasure hunt and maybe like your favorite thrift find is. See, that's a good question because I was gonna ask you if you had to bury one of your positions as a treasure, what do you think is like your treasure? Is it what's valuable to me or what would be valuable to other people to want to look for it? I want your answer for both. Um, okay, what's valuable to me? I think I would bury my VHS of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? <laughs> oh my gosh, how could you ever part with that? That's another great treasure hunting movie, too. True, they are hunting for treasure. I don't know if anything I own is, like, <laughs> valuable enough <laughs> that someone else would want it. Um, the other people... I have to hide my car in the desert. Yeah, like a car Nintendo Switch. Like, <laughs> I think I would hype it up to be something that it wasn't. I would say like my treasure box full of emeralds and gold and limited edition Michelangelo prints. And it would just like be a cigar box full of thumbtacks. And like I would get the satisfaction that a whole bunch of people were looking for my box of thumbtacks. <laughs> I kind of think that... If somebody were to find it, they would come back with some sort of conspiracy theory. Like, oh, this is a clue. And she's done this to throw us off and continue to look for your box of jewels. Such a good idea. Versus giving up and just accepting that you, they had spent work hunting thumbtacks. Sometimes I wonder if some of these treasure hunts, like Indiana Jones and things like that. I know that's fictional, but along the same lines. Like these biblical treasure hunters or these... um lost pyramid treasure hunters the people that are looking for actual valuable things in the modern day i wonder if they ever have stumbled into something where it's like oh this is not at all what we thought it was going to be but we can't tell anybody that we spent four years looking for a dead man's arm and nothing else yeah we miscalculated that one <laughs> that happened actually so then the secret that I was telling you about um, 
the book, The Secret, The Treasure Hunter, um, they, I think Discovery Channel, one of their shows got permission to excavate a certain point in White Point Gardens in Charleston to look for this hidden key that, I mean, reading the poem and looking at the image, it seems like they did have the correct spot mapped out. Um, there's no way to confirm it because the producer of the has passed away, and I don't know if anybody actually has the solution to his treasures. Um, they didn't find anything, and they dug up the entire area. <laughs> so people yeah. have, like, speculated that they, whenever they were renovating the area and, like, laying down a concrete foundation, that this key to this treasure box might just be hidden in somebody's garden from some of the extra dirt that they had to excavate. I think that the most valuable treasure was the National Treasure soundtrack. Have you ever listened to it just by itself? And not on purpose. It's quite good. Um, it was in my heavy rotation on Spotify for a while just because it's good to study too. I feel like I'm getting a mission done. It's like, I can like see myself like swinging through Trinity Church. <laughs> yeah, that's actually why I always listen to Game of Thrones scores whenever I was studying because I was like, I'm, I'm going to battle with my test answers. <laughs> uh, National Treasure is actually the first movie that Daniel and I watched together. Oh, that's why it worked out. Isn't, isn't, is it Sean Bond that's in that movie? I think so. We, one of the first times I was like, huh, this guy's really funny, is when he and I were the only ones to laugh at whether or not it was Sean Bond or Scene Bean. Because it can't be one or the other. No, absolutely not. It cannot be Scene Bond. Sean Bond. <laughs> Do you want to um, talk more about The Secret? Certainly. What is it? Uh, I see it everywhere. I thought, I thought The Secret was the thing where you, like, manifest things. That Where you what? Where you, like manifest things and like tape a dollar bill to your ceiling or something so that you become rich i don't know i thought that oh, was that's probably secret. like a self-help novel yeah i'm sure that there are multiple the secrets this was a 1982 treasure hunt novel um it's actually so in researching this i found out all of my research has been conducted with wikipedia and a youtuber called atrocity guide which i highly recommend especially if you like people like loey lane or nexpo she had a video on this so these books, which seem to have been popping off in the 80s, which makes total sense when you actually look at the imagery and the <laughs> sort of like fair folk fantasy theming, um, these are now referred to as arm, armchair treasure hunts. And oh. armchair treasure hunts are activities that require solving puzzles or riddles in some easily portable and widely produced format. So in this case, an illustrated book. Using the clues hidden in either the story or the graphics of the book to find a real treasure somewhere in the physical world. This type of treasure hunt may take months to solve and often has large prizes to be won. An early example of the genre is Kit Williams' 1979 book, Masquerade. While games still in play include The Secret and On the Trail of the Golden Owl. So yeah, so The Secret was a series... Well. The producer of the book is Byron Price, and he um, worked together with a ton of artists and a couple of writers to put together 12 illustrations, 12 poems. It was the reader's job to match up the poem with the image, and then together they were supposed to lead you to 12 different locations in North America and where treasure boxes were hidden 
Each of these boxes had a key, and these keys were supposed to go to safety deposit boxes. And you could find like a gem, the gem that was in the image that you were like searching for. Um, so there have been three that have been solved, one in 1983 in Chicago, Illinois, one in 2004 in Cleveland, Ohio, and this last one was in 2019 in Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah, so I was reading through some of the poetry. It's really nice. I mean, I'm I'm considering ordering this book just to have it on hand because it's so cool and it's so 80s looking. Like here, I'll send you um, one of the images. I'll send you the image for the Charleston. I don't want to know what comes up when you just Google the secret Charleston. <laughs> So yeah, so I'm, I only am going to use this one for illustration only because I'm familiar with a lot of the imagery in it. So if you look in the mask head under the lion, you can see that's basically Charleston on a map. Um, oh. That's the peninsula. So um, I think that they said that the gym is supposed to be the fort here. Uh like Fort Sumter, because it's in the same shape. This is such an interesting image. <laughs> you can see the other ones are in the sidebar on the right. I want to see the Cleveland one. Did you see where the Cleveland one was found? Um, it makes sense if it was in a garden. Right down the road from you, right? Yeah, the Great Cultural Garden. Yeah. yeah, I was like, wait, I drove through that with her. Yeah. That's easy. If it starts with underneath two countries, the first thing I would think of is Cultural Garden. Mm-hmm. Jealous. <laughs> so yeah, this one is kind of crazy because there is so many that have still been unsolved. However, a lot of them will probably remain unsolved because the landscapes, things that they it would be hidden in, has obviously changed drastically since 1983. So, for yeah, instance, like how our many treasure found it and then not known what it is. That's true too. So these keys were ceramic and hidden in little ceramic pots, specifically so people couldn't take like metal detectors out and brute force them once they had a certain idea. Mm -hmm. um, so my thought too is, how fragile is ceramic? Like. Right. If these have been disturbed at all, or, I mean, like, even with the one here, so there's two theories. One is that it's a White Point Gardener. It would have been before it got excavated. And the other one was that it was um, on Sullivan's Island, um, because the guy that solved it in that direction thought that the image had a lot to do with, like, Edgar Allan Poe and his time here in the military. Um, but... With all of the hurricanes and stuff, like even if it's buried under a tree some here, or like chances are it's just been taken adrift somewhere out to see if it was buried on any kind of beach around here. So I don't know. And then Roanoke Island, one of the areas, um, much bigger things have gone missing at Roanoke than a key. <laughs> Another example of these 80s, well, 80s, this was August of 1979. Uh, treasure books. There's a masquerade by Kit Williams and um, kind of along the same way it's a bunch of images and I think it's poetry. I think it's actually like the 
story underneath. Whoever figured it out, figured out that you're supposed to follow the eyes of the people in all of the images to look at the letters and the letters spell out Catherine's long finger overshadows earth buried yellow amulet. Midday points, the hour, <laughs> yeah. Midday points the hour in light of equinox. Look you. And somebody found this and it was, wow. yeah. I, I don't know if these people who are able to things are so incredibly intelligent. I can't even conceive it or if they are obsessive to the point of it being detrimental. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he buried a golden hair, like a rabbit, oh. full of encrusted in jewels and buried underneath. Oh, one of the park, a park, an anthill hill, Bedfordshire. It's in Bedfordshire, next to a cross-shaped monument of Catherine of Aragon. Um, the precise spot touched by the tip of the monument shadow at noon on the day of either March or September equinox. How would you figure out where to bury that, too? That's the other crazy thing to me, or the people who actually put these puzzles together. Or, like, the writers of National Treasure. Do you just keep making stuff up, and then at the end, once you've made everything up, just be like, yeah, we'll put it there? Or do you start with the location in mind, and then suddenly, like, make up everything to get back to it? That's what I would do. I would work backwards. Just because, I don't know, I feel like it would be way easier to find a random spot and then come up with a bunch of cryptic things about it than vice versa. I think it's really cool whenever there's like a lot of history incorporated into the clues. Like if you pick somewhere with like a lot of historical significance. Mm -hmm. Versus like, like just some random spot. And then coming up with something like where the grass grows garage. <laughs> this is my spooky basement. Find it if ye might. Betwixt the webs of spider, ye go. The Vatican's stolen stare. Days <laughs> is upon the outhouse. <laughs> So when I sent this to you, you had mentioned that you thought that this was a treasure that had been found, but what I think you were thinking of was the Forest Finn treasure. Yes. Which is <laughs> even crazier. Bonkers. To me, the Forest Finn treasure is what I would say, like the national treasure idea of treasure hunting in my mind. Yeah, it's not like, like a, a giant cache of... Object. duels and yeah. coins and the fact that he was a dealer of antiquities is like more Hollywood to me <laughs> what is going on this one's cursed this one is cursed maybe it's because we're talking about treasure Ooh, spooky. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to the people who have passed away and hunting this treasure either. I just don't want to mispronounce all of their names. So I'm just referring to them as people versus by name. Um, let's see. So one guy, they couldn't figure out how he died based on his autopsy. His ex-wife thought that the whole treasure thing was a hoax. One guy fell 500 feet down a deep slope in Yellowstone trying to find it. Um, one guy told family members he was searching for the buried treasure but failed to show up to a planned family meeting. His car was found near the park. And his body was found five to seven miles downstream. One guy, 
that had actually moved to Colorado to continue to look for the treasure was last seen rafting on the river and his body was found upstream. And then, weird, okay. One guy was found dead by rescuers alongside his unnamed male companion who later recovered in a hospital. That must be the person who found it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so this treasure was finally found, and, and the guy who found it wishes to be unnamed, and he is from back east, and that is all that I know about him. Mm. Mm. Could be anyone. Perhaps even my friend Sydney? Question mark? <laughs> if I found this treasure, I would not be in law school right now. <laughs> Yeah, this treasure is supposedly worth, like, what, a million dollars? Something crazy. It had some crazy stuff in it. Treasure um. chest. It was supposed to be a bronze box, estimated to have been forged in the 12th century. My God. 22 pounds! Mm-hmm. No wonder this guy hide it when he... The guy... <laughs> who hit it... Was like seventy three when he hit it, right? Um. Oh, he just recently passed away. Well, I'm glad someone found it before he died. Yeah, me too. September seventh, twenty twenty. He filled it with gold nuggets, rare coins, jewelry, and gemstones. I think they said this in the BuzzFeed Unsolved episode about this treasure, but it was like, if I found out my grandpa was dying and he took all this treasure and hid it somewhere in the mountains, I'd be like. What you doing with my inheritance there, Grandpa? <laughs> Grandpa? So he had, like, really altruistic, bleh, altruistic ideas for this treasure. He wanted to inspire people to get outside and go exploring, and he hoped that, like, a family would find it. You know, they came to whatever park that it was found in multiple times, or, like, they would bond as a family together hunting for this treasure. I hope families didn't go look for it if five people died trying to find it. I know, that's kind of crazy. Nothing completely unrelated to treasure hunting. Nothing freaks me out quite in the same way as like search and rescue stories or people dying in national parks in these sort of ways. Like creepy signs from national parks of dangerous warnings or the stories of people like that guy. Um, is it the call of the wild? The guy that went... And disappeared in a bus in Alaska, or tried to like make it out on his own and died in that bus. Mm, yeah, I think so. Is that the one with the creepy picture that he took before he died? Oh, I don't know. Oh no, the Call of the Wild, the movie. It's about a big-hearted dog whose <laughs> <laughs> blissful domestic life gets turned upside down when he is suddenly uprooted from his California home and transplanted transplanted to the exotic wilds of the Alaskan Yukon. I'll tell you another great movie about treasure hunting. Have you ever seen Without a Paddle? No. It's one of my favorite movies from my childhood. Um, it has uh, Dax Shepard, Matthew Lillard, and Seth Green. And it's the story of three best friends um, whose childhood friend uh, died unexpectedly. And their mission is um as like his final wish he wanted them to go look for the db treasure db cooper treasure and so these three best friends go out 
um, into the wild to look for D.B. Cooper's landing spot. And antics ensue. Has anybody ever actually found the money that was dropped out from D.B. Cooper? No, I don't think so. I think he's, like, missing, missing. Dollars blowing in the wind. Yeah, he's chilling on a Mexican beach. <laughs> I found what I was talking about. Christopher McCandless. Originally, it was ruled to be starvation, his death. But yeah, it's the picture of the guy, like, sitting in the bus on the Stampede Trail. Oof. Oof. I hate it. Have you ever been treasure hunting? I've probably played, like, games as a kid. My mom used to drag me around to geocache. Oh, yeah. Geocaching was, like, a big thing that came up whenever I was uh, researching this. Did you ever Mm -hmm. find anything geocaching? Yeah, you find something every time. Well, did you ever find anything like treasure, treasure? Or was it like stickers and Pokemon cards? (laughs) (laughs) I remember my favorite thing I ever got from a geocache was like some rosary beads. Um, Which I don't know what that says about me as a person, but... (laughs) There's something so poetic about burying something, though. I like the idea that treasure is like mostly buried. Nobody ever really hides it, like above ground mm-hmm. i'm looking up what happened to the dv cooper ransom money mm-hmm. if i'm not mistaken too the bills that he received were marked yeah they knew exactly mm-hmm. all right go ahead no i was gonna say so if he ever spent them or if anybody ever found them and spent them later we would know yeah for sure um Let's see. A month after hijacking, the FBI distributed lists of random serial numbers to financial institutions, casinos, racetracks, and other businesses that routinely conducted significant cash transactions. And to law enforcement agencies around the world, Northwest Orient offered a reward of 15% of their recovered money, some of $25,000. In early 1972, the USAG John N. Mitchell um, released the serial numbers to the general public. 1972, two men used counterfeit $20 bills printed with the Cooper serial numbers to swindle $30,000 from a Newsweek reporter named Carl Fleming in exchange for an interview with the man that they falsely claimed was the hijacker. What a weird thing to, like, make up. (laughs) Yeah. In 1980, Cash Discovery launched several new rounds of conjecture and ultimately raised more questions than it answered. Um, they had found some money that had washed free into the Columbia River um, from one of its connecting tributaries and noted that the bills had disintegrated in a rounded fashion and that they were mounted together, indicating that they had been deposited by river action as opposed to having been deliberately buried. So I guess that would lead you to think that, like, Maybe he died or lost the money yeah. in the river when he landed. A lot of trouble to go through. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not convinced he didn't just fall out of the plane and hit a tree or something. Yeah. Yeah. He jumped out like over a forest. So I don't know what his plan was there. Yeah. And also, I mean, I guess we have no idea who this guy was. So there's no way to know what sort of expertise he had, but. If I landed in the middle of the forest with a bag full of cash, even if I did successfully land, I don't know where I am. No. Um, and I'm just dropped over into a forest. Money don't do you no good in the Pacific wilderness. <laughs> can you imagine trying to recreate that today, too? What can you actually fly with that would be helpful? Two ounces of shampoo? 
And that's all you get when you land. When I mix them together, they explode. <laughs> 13 almonds you were able to purchase for $15 on the other side of TSA. See, how did he get away with it? I'll, I'll just read this synopsis at the top of the Wikipedia page so people don't know who D.B. Cooper is or what we're talking about can be familiar. Um, Dan Cooper is the pseudonym of an unidentified man who attacked a Boeing 727 aircraft in the U.S. airspace between Portland and Seattle on the afternoon of November 24, 1971. He purchased his airline ticket using an alias, so you already couldn't do that, because of news miscommunication. Um, the name became popular lore as D.B. Cooper. He extorted $20,000, $200,000, excuse me, in ransom and parachuted into an uncertain fate. Despite an extensive manhunt and protracted FBI investigation, the perpetrator has never been located or identified. It remains an unsolved case of air piracy in commercial aviation history. It says many FBI agents are of the opinion that he did not survive the jump. It was all a stunt just to make us look cooler. <laughs> Drum up some drama for the airline industry. I don't know. I um, The last thing I would do after hearing a hijacking story is run to buy a ticket, but... True. <laughs> if I recall from, like, some video or story I've read, too, this man was apparently, like, super suave and calm on the plane. He was, like, wearing a suit, and he was super nice to the air hostess yeah i think he handed her a note and she put it in her pocket and he was like no you're gonna have to read that <laughs> <laughs> she read it and it was like i'm hijacking the plane <laughs> i've never thought about that but whenever somebody goes to rob a bank what happens if you just never read the note what if they're trying to get you to read it and you just shake your head no read it <laughs> i would never read a piece of paper handed to me if i were a bank teller or a flight attendant i just never would read any papers <laughs> it says um the flight attendant assuming the note had contained a lonely businessman's phone number which links to <laughs> another wikipedia page about courtship displays <laughs> amazing <laughs> it's like an antelope that's weird anyway <laughs> Someone's having too much fun with this courtship displays. <laughs> but anyway, the note, she assumed the note was a phone number, so she dropped it unopened in her purse. And he leaned forward and whispered, Miss, you better look at that note. I have a bomb. Oh, man. You know, honestly, this is, this is such a stupid reaction for me to feel, but... If I were her, I would have been so embarrassed that I thought it was a phone number and it turned out to be a bomb threat. I don't know if she was thinking about that in the moment. No, but now looking back at it, like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of all the stories where um, you see where people are like, I have a boyfriend and it's like, okay, yeah, but I just need the answer to number 16. Thanks. I wanted to know what the teacher assigned for homework. <laughs> I have a boyfriend. I have a bomb. Ma'am, you're going to want to read that note. All that to say is that Without a Paddle is a good movie. <laughs> Everyone should watch it. What's your favorite thing that you've ever found while you were thrift shopping? What's your treasure? We did find in the Gaffney Goodwill one time three boxes of records from somebody with incredible music taste. 
and all of the boxes together, I think, were like $7. Some poor dude had either moved out or had passed away, and his family had donated all of his collection of records. And I got such good stuff out of that. Like, the stuff that if you were to go to a different record store, they would be selling for way too much money, like like Journey and Queen and stuff like that. Um, there was also the time that I found a members-only light purple Skateland USA jacket. <laughs> That's pretty sweet. Yeah, it was it was pretty neat. <laughs> what about you? What's been your best thrift store find? It wasn't my find in particular, but I have this item now. Um, my mom found a vintage coach um like satchel bag at a goodwill and she bought it for like 10 bucks and i looked it up and they're like 200 dollars. so it's definitely a treasure um i got all my halloween decorations from goodwill they're all actually haunted yes i feel like i um really hit the mother load i got like some spooky candelabras and platters and all sorts of shit i love their shopping oh i got a cowboy hat Ooh, the cowboy hat's really nice. Cowboy hat, as seen on our Instagram, tell you in the car. <laughs> it's a nice cowboy hat. <laughs> as all Southern women should have at least one cowboy hat. For any occasion. For any occasion, such as baptisms, <laughs> weddings, funerals. <laughs> this is my funeral cowboy hat. <laughs> I love Wikipedia, man. I could go on such spirals with Wikipedia. I'm on somebody completely different who was also lost in the Alaskan wilderness. This started as a treasure hunt. Wow. And now I'm having terrible panic spirals about a carpenter that was lost in the woods. And I am so deep in several pictures of possums on Instagram. Hold on. (laughs) Has there been a particular inspiration for all the recent possums on your Instagram? Or is this just something that you've always been passionate about? I think they're neat. Possums are pretty cool. (laughs) I've told you this story, but I'll tell our audience this story. One time, a mom and several of her babies, possums, (laughs) convinced me that there was alien life on planet Earth. So my birthday is in December. It was my first time driving to my high school alone on a long back road. I would have gotten my license in December. School probably would have started back in January. So it's early January. It's dark outside. I'm driving and I just see 10 eyes crawling across the road in a dark, furry body shadow. And I was like, what creature could possibly have 10 eyes? Oh my God, there's an alien and I'm going to hit it my very first time driving alone to school. And I pull up a little closer and it is a mom and four of her babies. Just crossing. It's so cute. I was specifically thinking about Rebecca the raccoon. Rebecca was a raccoon. was kept as a pet by U.S. President Calvin Coolidge and his wife. Um, She was from Mississippi. And get this. She had been sent to the White House to be served for the 1926 Thanksgiving dinner. The Great Depression. No, wait, this wasn't the Great Depression. This was the Roaring Twenties. No, the stock market hadn't even crashed yet. Um, the Coolidge's decided to keep her as a pet instead. For Christmas, they embroidered a collar for her, inscribed with the title White House Raccoon. (laughs) She was fed shrimp, lemons, and eggs that were her favorite. 
She let loose in the White House and walked on a leash outdoors. At times, she could be mischievous and was known to unscrew light bulbs and open cabinets and unpot houseplants. I think raccoons are America's national treasure when we really consider presidential <laughs> raccoons. I think White House raccoons should then, be a cabinet position anyways. Go ahead. White House raccoons. Um, and Herbert Hoover came after Coolidge. And um, a wild possum had moved in to Rebecca's vacant tree house. And um, the possum was adopted by the Hoovers, and his name was Billy Possum. Just like their little hands. Oh, I know. They're so cute. <laughs> they are the ones that truly value things like treasure. Like, I don't know if you've seen the video of the raccoon that scoops up dog food and runs away with it in their hands. Yeah. <laughs> You would have thought they found the forest fin treasure chest of gold the way that the raccoon holds the little dog food pellets to its chest and runs. Go, go, go. I've been discovered. Absconded. So raccoons wash their food before they eat it. Oh, the cotton candy one. Yeah, have you seen the one with cotton candy where he goes to wash his cotton candy and it dissolves in the water? I've never heard anything more sad in my life. I gave him another piece afterwards. Okay, so I looked up famous raccoons. And they don't have a page for it. So I think I have to make a new Wikipedia page. We were just talking about how much we love Wikipedia and now it's hurt me so. I'm going to ask them to... Wait, if you look at raccoons, is there like a famous... Let's see. There's a list of fictional raccoons, but that's not what I'm looking for. It was a raccoon that was hanging out on my back porch the other day that was looking for me, but I wasn't home. Was he looking for uh, a meal? Have you been feeding raccoons? No. <laughs> Stop feeding I'm him. Looking for me. I'm not feeding him. <laughs> Go away, raccoon. <laughs> I've watched that documentary now episode so many times that for like a solid three months, I couldn't say raccoon. Damn it. I still can't. I couldn't say raccoon. I would say raccoon. Go away, raccoon. You're not welcome here. <laughs> Stop feeding the raccoons. I'm not feeding him. Actively throwing cereal at him to get him to go away. I've completely lost what we were talking about. Have I ever told you about my favorite childhood book? TJ Bun- Funny Bunny doesn't want to be a bunny today. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh, wait. <gasps> oh, there were more. Okay, it, the name of the book is It's Not Easy Being a Bunny. I, oh. I have to buy this. Um, look for the illustrations because there's one where PJ Funny Bunny... It's not easy being a bunny. He decides that he's going to try and beat other animals. And one of the animals that he tries to be is a raccoon. Not a raccoon. I'm sorry. A possum. PJ Funny Bunny wants to be a possum. But the reason he can't is because the possums can hang upside down by their tails and trees to sleep. And when he tries, he falls on his head. Oh. Wait, look at this picture and tell me that this book just isn't a mood. Uh, what does that mean? But PJ could not make good moose calls. And PJ went to live with the possums. If you had to pick an animal to live among, what animal would you pick to live among? And try and imitate the life of? Um, if you, Sydney Funny Bunny, did not want to be a funny yeah. bunny anymore, <laughs> where are you going? Um, That's a good question. I would say cat, because they like no responsibilities and they get treated very well i would love to be my cat yes 
But at the same time, you'd have to be around people. See, I feel like if I was going to go feral, that like, <laughs> I, I would want to not be around people. Um, I guess that is sort of the appeal. Like a Galapagos turtle. Am I turning Am I turning into this animal? Or am I just going to live with them? I don't know. I'm trying to decide whether or not I want to allow you the freedom to be whatever animal you want to be. Or if I want to put you in PJ Funny Bunny situation where he remains a bunny the whole time. Because like, I would straight up want to be a sea creature. But <laughs> if I am still a human, that's not going to work. Then yeah, we'll say you can turn into the animal. Okay, so I would either be like a giant squid or... See, I know we just talked about them for 20 minutes, but like possums and raccoons... I'd probably be a raccoon because possums are like kind of blind and get hit by cars. Yeah. Possums have the hands, or raccoons have the hands that I want. (laughs) I can still do things. I feel like raccoons are like less um, hunted than possums too. Yeah, I feel like a raccoon, at least if you're not at the 1926 Thanksgiving dinner at the White House. Right. But I feel like a raccoon is like a good meeting spot between a cat and like a primate. Um, Because you have the hands, but you're still like kind of cute, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think I'd be a raccoon. What would you be? It's funny that you're talking about it being like the meeting spot. I've always considered ferrets to be like cat snakes. Ooh, I don't like ferrets. Oh, I don't either. I'm just saying, like, I think in my mind that there are a lot of animals that are really just the in-betweens of others. And not from, like, an evolution standpoint either. Just, like, put them in two different boxes and then put them in one box. I've never met a person that just has one ferret. No. I feel like if you have a ferret, you have to have more than one. Yeah. You have, like, ten. And they all are running around your house in little tubes. God, I hate that. And there's, like wood chips everywhere they smell really bad too they like give off some sort of ammonia order order odor they give off the ammonia order (laughs) (laughs) they give off the ammonia order (laughs) my cat snake gives off the ammonia order (laughs) (laughs) oh man now i'm gonna have to leave in us insulting ferret owners just so i can with context leave in what you just said Do you think that there is a national treasure? Do you think that there's a map on the back of the Declaration of Independence? Um, maybe. I mean, nothing's impossible, right? Wouldn't the perfect cover be, ha ha ha, it's just Hollywood? Oh, yeah, and like the deep government, like, made that movie so, to throw people off their trail. It's propaganda. Oh my god. You have to go steal the Declaration of Independence. Cut that out. Cut that out. Have you seen, I think it's Business Insider does a series on YouTube. Like, the world's most expensive blank, or why is that so expensive? Something like that. And then go over random things that you wouldn't think are as expensive as they are. A lot of times they're like food items, like fancy cheese, or like saffron, actual real saffron. Oh, yeah. Um, Which is insane, by the way. I had no idea that, like, most everything that we get on this side of the world is fake. Uh, Oh, yeah. And how short the growing season is there. Um, What, if you could have some random, like, you can't have cash, you can't have gold or, like, some sort of metal, mineral, whatever. What 
is your item that's holding like value to you. Like you have a swimming pool full of blank and that is your treasure. <laughs> um what would I want a swimming pool full of? Yeah, and it can't be anything like art. <laughs> it can't be any tax write-offs, nothing like that. Like I'm talking a swimming pool full of truffles. <laughs> I want a swimming pool full of various animal skulls. <laughs> Just for my own <laughs> pleasure. My own pleasure. And also, people charge stupid amounts of money for clean animal skulls. And I think I could get away with selling them for the arm and the leg. Very true. Especially if you had, like, fully articulated skeletons. Um, oh, yeah. That could go for some big money. Like, if I sold a giraffe skeleton, I could probably get at least, like, $100,000. Um, What would yours be? Well, previously, before any time, like in the past couple of years, I would have said oil. Uh, but seeing as barrels of oil at some point this year were uh, negative in value, um, I think printer ink. Oh, yeah. Green cartridges would probably be the most bang for my buck. I didn't know it had to be valuable. Okay. Um, a pool full of valuable. <laughs> I mean, it could be valuable to you. I won't, I won't rule out whatever makes you happy. But if you want to not pay student loans, textbook, brand new 16th edition textbooks that the students have to buy. <laughs> There's no PDF and it has to come with the code. It's all loose leaf with three hole punches and you have oh, to put yeah, it in. What the hell is that about? Yeah, miss me with that shit. You can at least bind it for me if you're going to charge me $1,000 for it. How about it? Unless it has a map to a treasure that I can find, there's no need to charge me $1,000 for a book. All of this to say is that Madison, you're my treasure. You're my treasure, Sid. What is, what is the most important treasure? Friendship. Pool full of Madisons. It's all, all elbows.